0: Let's get rolling. One thing I did forget to announce, that we do have foundations right after service today, so if you forgot to bring food, that's fine because we, uh, we ordered pizza, so you don't have to worry about anything. So just hang out. It's going to be a good time. We're working on some worldview stuff. So we're going to pick up where we left off a couple of weeks ago. Last week was a little bit of a detour, but in John chapter 15, verse 1, it says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So as we started in this concept of what it means to abide in him, this is kind of the last part of this series before we, we go on to the next one, but it's so crucial that we get this. Because can you imagine a branch of a tree trying to do something in and of itself? to be solo, an independent, an independent thinker, an independent actor, you've got a branch on your tree, your apple tree says, I don't want to make no more apples, I'd much rather make oranges. And try as it might, it would be useless endeavor to try to do that type of thing. Now, I realize that a tree branch is an inanimate object that does not think about anything, much like your children. But, The reality of it is, is if he says that he's the vine and we are the branches and we can do nothing of ourselves apart from him, why do we try so desperately to do things of ourselves apart from him? Because that's the world we live in. We are desperately attempting to live our lives to the fullest, to please ourselves, to do what we want to do so that we can have the greater things and a comfortable life. You can have greater things, you can have a comfortable life, but without Him, it's irrelevant. It says, if you abide in me and I in you, you will produce much fruit. The thing that we've got to recognize in all of this is that the original design for mankind was to be in one with God, fellowship with God. Man had the choice, man took the choice, man screwed up, separated us from God, Jesus as the First one, to come from God as a representative of him, comes down and makes it all right. So now you and I can once again abide in him. Would it be easier if he was standing right in front of you and he said, abide in me? Absolutely. Imagine what our lives would be like if we actually thought Jesus was around us all the time. What would we do? We'd probably act different. We'd probably talk different. We'd watch different movies, play different video games. We'd do different things if we actually believed that he was with us, around us, in us all the time. But we don't actually believe that because if we did, we would truly act differently. So when he says that he's the branch and we are the vine, that means that we are only useful in this life when we are connected to him to do what he wants. Do you realize that the desires of your heart begin to change the closer you get to God? I may have told you guys this, but years and years ago, I was once a drummer. I was actually pretty good at it. That's not true today, but there was a time in my life and um, that is all I wanted to do. I just wanted to play music. I want to travel the world, play music. I just, I loved it. I loved doing it. And then I woke up one day and had a call in my life that was not playing music. And I just couldn't even fathom this idea of not playing the drums. And when I went off to Bible school, I went and auditioned immediately. And they're like, man, you're really good. you got great timing and rhythm. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I know. they like, well, we don't have a spot open right now. Okay, we'll get rid of the guy who's not as good as I am. And that's not how that works. I think you all know that. And uh, all I wanted to do was play. Like, that's all I wanted to do. And it was amazing that as I began to grow, and I was 19 years old when I did that, but as I began to grow in God, it's like that desire to travel the world and play the drums just kind of went away. That's all I wanted to do since the time I was in eighth grade. Prior to that, I wanted to be a paleontologist. The idea of digging up dinosaur bones was pretty spectacular. Obviously, that didn't work out either, so. But I mean, it was like something changed, because the closer I drew to him, my desires began to wane, and his desires began to become greater. And it's this battle that we constantly fight as the branch to not argue with the vine about what we should and should not be doing, and what we should and should not be producing, and how we should or should not live our lives. We like to argue with the vine and say, nah, that's not good enough, I don't want that. To abide means to remain stable or fixed in a state. When we abide by the rules, we conform to them. When we abide by a de- decision, we accept it. But what we have is what I talked on last week. I don't know how many of you guys were able to get online last week. I know it was weird. It was weird for all of us, the eight of us that were in this room, and that super cold, snowy, frigid weather. I know most of you were stranded at home out in the boonies, couldn't get out. I get that. But as I'd been praying over the last several months, this thing that that verse at the end of Judges just keeps coming to me—that they did what was right in their own eyes. They did what was right in their own eyes. You have a 300-year span from the very first time they ask God, "What do you want to do?" to the second time they ask God, "What do you want to do?" 300 years. That's an enormous amount of time to actually consult God on what He wants. Hey, hey, Mr. Vine. What would you like for me as your branch to do? No, they did what was right in their own eyes. Why? They were without a king. It was that time. They had nobody to tell them what to do. Well, let me ask you something. Who's your king? Who tells you what to do? When you're a child, from the moment you get up to the moment you go to bed, you got somebody in your ear telling you what to do. Yeah put your shoes on don't leave your socks there pick up your dirty underwear did you change your underwear did you brush your teeth don't punch your sister don't tackle your little brother and break his dang arm I mean it like from the somebody is telling you what to do and then as you become an adult who tells you what to do well your employer does Tells you where to be, when to be, how to be, what to do, all of that. But outside of that, you're not required to go to church anymore. You're not required to give anymore. You're not required to pray anymore. You're not required to read anymore. not required to do any of this stuff. You see, we as individuals, adult human beings in this world, in one sense or another, without a king. We have nobody ruling over us to tell us what we should and should not do. Which means it is up to us. So we, as the branch, get to tell the vine what we're going to do. Because we do what is right in our own eyes. That's the world we live in right now. That's the world we live in right now. It is bleeding into the church. We are in a pattern of the book of Judges. And you watch. I want you to mark my words today. Okay. This isn't necessarily a thus saith the Lord. This is something for watching patterns. There is going to be a shaking that takes place that will wake up the church. I don't know what that is. I don't know when that is. Because the church is asleep at the wheel. And the reason for that is because we have a generation that was brought up where everything had begun to be done for them. And they were not accountable for their actions. In other words, when you make dumb decisions, the reason you don't make that decision twice is because how it affected you. But when you have somebody who keeps you from feeling the pain of those decisions, you'll continue time and time again. That's where we are now. What happens in our country when we make stupid financial decisions? They print more money. We don't feel it. We don't feel it. What happens when we have a medical thing? Well, we can go to a doctor at any point in time. There are so many options for us. What happens if you're hungry? Who goes hungry in this country? Only those by choice who refuse to go out to the things that are actually available because there should be nobody starving because there is food everywhere. Who's without a job right now? Only those by choice. Because basically the qualification to get hired is to fog a mirror. Can you fog this? Blow on this. Okay, good. You have a pulse? Great. You're qualified. We'll take you. It's the best time ever if you're an idiot. I mean, the thing is, is when we think about this, we as a society have been so coddled that now we get to do what we want. And now we're in this weird time frame where there is really little consequence to our action. Look what's going on in our society. Why is crime running rampant in some of these major cities? Because they pulled back the police force. They're not enforcing the laws. I mean, when you, I saw something, I don't remember if it was a Home Depot or where it was, an employee got fired for trying to stop somebody from shoplifting in like Portland or something. I don't remember where it was. I don't even know if they have Home Depot in Portland. Whatever it was. Is that not crazy? Nothing happened to the individual. So why do they keep going in and robbing these stores and stealing? Because there's no consequence. That's the thing. If a woman has multiple children with multiple fathers, is it a problem or is it a benefit? Well, what happens? The state pays her more money. She's incentivized to do wrong. See, the society we have has no king. We as believers have no king. The only king we have is God Himself. And we have to choose as the branch if we are going to submit our lives to the vine. There is the life. There is the purpose. There is the blessings. Try as we might, it will never fulfill. 1 John chapter 2. Verse 3. Now by this we know that we know Him. If we keep His commandments. He who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him But whoever keeps his word truly the love of God is perfected in him by this We know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked Could you imagine Jesus saying to the father? Hey, I know why I came here I know the purpose that I'm here But I don't want to do that. So I'm not gonna Think about that the last prayer he had Lord not my will but yours be done. What do we do? Lord, not your will, but my be done. That's what we do. God is optional to us. Look at 1 John 4, 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we're supposed to walk as Jesus walked, and we're supposed to recognize that God is abiding in us, and we should know that everything we do is from a position of righteousness this rightness with God, the ability to go before the Lord. The problem is, is we get the choice. We don't believe God's Word. If we did, we would act different. We would talk different. We would live our lives differently if we really believe that. The second that something happens to us, whether it's from somebody else or whatever, we immediately get in our feelings And we're like, well, that's not right. They shouldn't do that and blah, blah, blah. And then we blame God. We act as if God had something to do with that. Do you guys realize that people will wrong us? Do you realize that Christians will wrong us? Do you realize that people make mistakes and they say things that are dumb and do things that are dumb? And it's not our job to be offended. It's our job to get over it because it's irrelevant. Because all of this is going to end. Walk as he walked. Do you think anybody talked bad about Jesus? Pretty sure they did. Walk as he walked. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, not according to Christ, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head over all principality and power rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith. Why do you think, and we could do more of these, why do you think there's an overabundance of verses that talk about being established in Him, living in Him, recognizing you're complete in Him, that He is in you and you are in Him and that you and He are one? Why do you think there's so many verses about that? Because they're trying to get it through the reader's head. Hey, hello, recognize who you are. Recognize what He's given. Recognize who He created you to be. Because when you give your life to Christ, you are now his disciples. Therefore, you are created in the image of him. You are his representative. You are now a branch that should be connected to the vine. You no longer dictate where your life goes. He does. I remember as a kid growing up in church, it was this big thing about everybody had to go into ministry. That was the big thing back then, the 80s and the 90s. And it was like one of these things where you had you convinced, like, oh, man, God may call you to Djibouti. going to send you down to the middle of nowhere in Africa. And you're like, oh, there's lions and tigers and bears. I'm going to pass. And I remember praying as a kid, like, God, I will do anything that you want me to do. I will go anywhere you want me to go. But here's a short list of no-gos. And it was usually stuff I'd seen on National Geographic. Like, it was one of these things where it was in you. And what was it? I was holding back something from God. I was holding back something from Him. Because I did not recognize that my completeness in Him was now in force. My life was not my own. I needed to do what He wanted me to do. All I wanted to do as a teenager was play the drums. I didn't care if they preached on Sunday. Let's just do more music. Because frankly, I was better than the preacher. At least I thought so. I mean, it was one of those things where it was like, this is all I want. And as I grew and began to mature and began to grow, I was like, okay, what do you want for my life? Because as crazy as it sounds, I never in my entire life prayed, God, all I want, Lord, if I could just have this one desire of my heart, move me to Rockport, Missouri. That's all I want, Lord. Never once, did I pray that? All I prayed is, Lord, get me out of my hometown and take me someplace cool. Not feet of snow cool. There's one in every crowd. Like, this is the thing. It's recognizing this. That when I began to chase God and I began to do things for God, it was like things started to fall in place. Do you know where they would go south? Where the vine or the branch started telling the vine what he was going to do. I can go back and look at it now. Again, it's amazing what happens when you can look back and see the consequences, to actions, and decisions that were made. That I can go back and see everywhere that things went wrong was a result of me doing my desire, what I wanted to do. I was telling this a story this morning, but when I, when I was going to Bible school, I worked for Sears. And it was the blessing of the Lord. My wife and I have always been faithful tithers except for one short stint in our life where things got really bad and I made a poor decision. But we had been faithful to give to God no matter what, no matter what we was income-wise, didn't make any difference. We had been faithful. And when we were going to school, we had the ability, we saved up money to be able to pay cash. And so when we got there and stuff, we were working, I'm working for Sears and I was selling flooring. And I was doing pretty well because I was paying on commission. I was selling carpets. like, this is a pretty sweet gig. On top of that, I was technically the supervisor over the department of three people, me being one of the three. And all that meant is I got to make the schedule. And so during football season, I didn't work on Saturdays. It was spectacular. I had another lady who didn't want to work a different day, so she loved Saturdays. So It was great. And so it was wonderful. And then we, we went home for Christmas that, that first year, and I get a call from the store manager saying, they're not doing flooring anymore, that we're getting rid of the department, but we don't want you to leave. Like, we've got a spot for you. We want you to move to the Lawn and Garden. I didn't know anything about lawnmowers, but I was like, ah, right, whatever. You know, it's a job. I just need to pay the bills. And so we got in there and I'm learning the stuff and whatnot. And there was one day um, where I set a store record for sales on the floor of the department. We I sold over forty thousand dollars worth of lawnmowers that, that day. And here's how it happened. I'd be standing here and somebody would walk up to me. He's like, hey, can you help me? I was like, sure, what's up? Oh, I want to buy that mower. Oh, okay, great. I want to sell you that mower. And then I'd sell them the mower. And then I'd go stand over here and somebody else would come up to me. There are four sales guys on the floor. Everybody kept coming to me. And I had no idea why. And at the moment, I didn't know anything about, like, the provision of God and any of this stuff. I'm 19 years old. I don't know nothing from nothing. And I'm just like, oh, man, this is, this is cool. And it finally got to the point where it's like, okay, guys, I'm going to go off the floor because nobody else has sold anything today. And uh, I'm just gonna go wander around for a little bit. So I went over to the hardware department and I'm just looking at tools and thinking of all the stuff I can buy with this newfound commission and tools I don't know how to use and all of that. And this couple comes up to me and is like, hey, sir, can you help us? I said, well, I can try. I don't know anything about hardware. I'd be happy to get somebody for you. Like, oh no, we wanna buy a lawn tractor. (laughs) I'm like, sure, why not? So I said, store record and the commission check was wonderful and it was great. And I'm like, man this is awesome and i look back at that now and i completely see the hand of god in it i was a win and then when i look back at all my losses i can completely say where god says, hey don't do that hey don't do that hey don't oh he did that it's abiding in him the branch telling the vine what to do colossians chapter 2 verse 6 i know i just read this i want to read it again as you therefore have received christ jesus the lord Walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith. You know what it means to establish something? It's got this firm foundation. There is the faith. Not deviance from the faith. Not sidetracks from the faith. There's the faith, rooted and grounded in the faith, which is in Him. We live our lives like we are waiting for something to happen. We're waiting for God to do something. We're waiting for God to give us what we need. If what we are waiting for is out there that we can seek and desire, then yes, by all means, we can go and get it. But if we are truly complete in Him, then we have to believe that verse where it says, hey, Do everything unto the Lord, and these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom, then these things will be added to you. All of these things that we're chasing will never bring satisfaction. That's the vine telling the, the branch telling the vine. We've got to get it back in the proper way. And this all comes from a moment of trust. Do we believe what God has said? Do we believe what God has promised? Is God's word, the Bible, truly God's word? Because if it is, then we can simply read it, look at it, study it, learn from those who came before us as if they were just individuals kind of working out their salvation too, kind of figuring it out and seeing what happens and have the ability to look back and say, oh boy, that was dumb. Why'd they do that? Like if I was Ananias and Sapphira, I might have had those same thoughts. Man, I just sold this for a whole lot. They really need it all. I think I'll just keep some. But if I'm standing there watching it and I see them drop dead after they lied to the Holy Spirit like not gonna do that (laughs) I mean that's the thing guys is we we look at this and we're like okay what does God want how can I trust him We've started to talk about this concept of faith and what it is. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things that are not seen. By it being faith, the elders, those who came before us, obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. It's by faith because we weren't there to see it. But we understand we're taking their word for it. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And though it, he being dead, or through it, he being dead, still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death, and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So, how do we please God? takes faith it takes faith. You see, we live in a world as if when I see it, I'll believe it. but the world of God is when I believe it, then I'll see it. It's completely backwards. The concept of giving money and trusting God to meet all of your needs is backwards to the world' system, where we're supposed to consume and amass as much as we can that that thing is yours you do with it what you want but the God system is oh, this all belongs to him Lord where do you want it to go today there's hundreds and hundreds of examples of that Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23 says let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful he who promised is faithful do we believe that hold fast to our hope without wavering no we waver we don't believe it just getting real John chapter 17 verse 20 We see what Jesus did. He says, I do not pray for these alone, talking about the 12, but also for those who believe in me through their word. That's you and I. You guys realize that that's you and I? Their word is captured in the pages of Scripture. You and I are are who Jesus is praying for right now that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, and that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, and they may be one just as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that you also, they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world, O righteous Father. The world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love that which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. See, what you may not realize, and this is what we began to talk about, is that Jesus lived his life on this earth in trusting God's word. Trusting the promises, recognizing who he was. How do we know? He always responded with Scripture. How do we know that Jesus was abiding in the Father? Because there were many times where he would go off and he would pray. There's 38 times captured in the pages of Scripture, which we know is just a short snippet. I mean, the examples in John as as an illustration here, John captures about 19 days of Jesus' life. Do you think Jesus maybe prayed outside of those 19 days? It's entirely possible. He was abiding in Him. He was aware of that the Father was in Him and He was in the Father. And that He was baptized with the Holy Spirit. He knew who He was. So there was no question that He at that moment, living a life as an example to you and I, that we could walk in the same thing that He did, never once told the Father no. He never once chased what He wanted. He simply went after God. Matthew 17 verse 14. It says, when he had come to a multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to the disciples, but they could not cure him. And Jesus' answered, said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured that very hour. And the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why, would we, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said, because of your unbelief. So why couldn't they do it? They're unbelief. They did not believe they could do it. They did not believe that they had the authority. They did not believe that they had the power. They did not believe they had the responsibility. I'm not sure exactly what it was. I'm just telling you, they did not believe what Jesus had told them. So I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. But nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. What does prayer and fasting do? It makes you recognize. makes you abide. That's what it is. You see, this is all that Jesus was illustrating, is that His life, as a reflection to you and I, was not His own. It belonged to His Father. He was there to do the work of the Father. He illustrated what the work of the Father was. He laid down His life willingly, because that was what the Father wanted. That was what the plan. What about you and I? We say that we have faith, do we not? We say that we're in the faith, do we not? We say that we believe God, do we not? But in James chapter 2, verse 20, it says, do you do you, but do you want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Makes you wonder a little bit. Do we have dead faith? Now, I'm not talking specifically to anybody in here. I'm talking Big C Church. Because do we have dead faith is a question that we all should ask. All the churches that talk about it being God's will to heal, that God is the healer, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that truly claim to believe what they are saying, how many of those closed during COVID? We have to ask the hard questions. Nobody likes it. There was no manual on how to handle that situation, okay? I'm not necessarily getting down on anybody, but if you claim that believers truly can lay hands on the sick and see them recover, and that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead quickens and makes alive my mortal body, and my life is not my own, and to live is Christ, but to die is gain, then why did we fear death? Why did we go into hiding? It's because perhaps parts of our faith aren't where they should be. Some people have no problem. I mean, think about it this way. If you have faith in a bulletproof vest and somebody pulls a gun on you, are you concerned? No. Why? You trust the vest. If you don't, you'll run. You'll do something. That's how you know. Do I trust it or do I not? That's what faith means. That's what faith is. Jesus said essentially that I'm trusting the Father and I know I'm going to to die and I know I'm going to suffer immensely, but I know you'll raise me up. He had to trust the Father. So let's look at John chapter 14. See, there are all these verses that we quote. There's very few of these verses that we live. John 14 verse 12 says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do. Greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Anything means anything. The works that he did, I will do. We are waiting to see before we believe, we have to believe in order to see. Now, let's jump into this a little bit, a little further, and I'm, I'm not going to go too much longer, but I want you to see this concept of faith. We have talked about Jesus, and I know that was a long picking back up where we left off, but it's been a couple of weeks. When we talk about faith, we've got to understand what the word means. It simply means trust. It's just believing what he says, okay? I mean, when you wake up in the morning, you have faith that your heat will be on. Some of you, your faith was let down this last week. You have faith that your legs will work. You have faith that your arms will work. You never question whether your heart will continue to beat. You don't think about it. You trust it, right? Those are the types of things that we're talking about. When it becomes so automatic that it's just like breathing, I'm never praying, God, make my lungs work. God, make my lungs work. God, make my lungs work. Because they just work. The only time they don't work properly is when I do what the devil has asked and makes me run. That's it. (laughs) Or there's stairs, or I have to tie my shoes, or whatever it is then I can tell there's something wrong. See, we have to understand what the words are so that we can implement this stuff into our lives. So in Hebrews 11, it says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. So, this is not seeing to believe, this is believing to see the evidence of things that are not seen. You have to trust God before you see it, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen are not made of the things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was, a righteous, uh, that he was righteous, God testifying of his gift, and though he... Uh, And through it, he being dead, still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away, so he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, when we go through this list of people and all of these people here, there's a list of names throughout this entire thing. These are examples of people who live by faith. A wonderful exercise for any person to do is go and look at the name of the individual and then go back and read exactly what they did. Because this is the example we have of what faith means, not what we think it means. Society has changed the word faith to basically something blind where we just, we believe just kind of nonsensically and it's just like, yeah, it's out there, but it's not really necessarily true. You can have your faith. But that's not what was going on here. You see, he who promised was faithful, therefore they trusted what he had said, what he had commanded. When he said, pick up and move, they picked up and moved. When he says, go there, they went there. When he said, don't, they didn't. They trusted him. They made mistakes along the way, but they trusted him. And there's a list of names here, and we're going to look at one of those today. Because I want you to see this. We're going to start in James chapter 2. We read that faith without works is dead. No question about it. Okay? So in other words... What happened in, in, in dozen parts of the world and other, uh, other time, frame, time periods is that when somebody gives their life to Christ, we didn't just say, oh, we had 20 decisions today. It wasn't decisions. They wouldn't even count them a part of the church until after they'd gone out there for a while to see if what they actually said is true, if it really impacted their life. That's not how we do things today, but it's how it was done. In James chapter 2, he's talking about this idea of faith. And a lot of times this gets confused, but look at this. Verse 14. What is it profit, my brother, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to him, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what is it profit? That's also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, let me pause for a moment. This is not talking about you working to gain something with God. It's a result of your trust in God impacting the works that you do, the things that you do. What you say you believe is demonstrated through what you do. So in other words, if you say something, but you do another, that means you don't really believe this. Because if you did, it would affect what you do. Verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works I will demonstrate to you what I believe by the things I do so you don't have to question whether I believe this or not You can tell by the actions that I take you believe that there is one God Well, you do well even demons believe that and they tremble But do you want to know oh foolish man that faith without works is dead was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect and the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him right uh, to him for righteousness and he is was called the friend of God you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only don't get these words mixed up what happened there we know because we read it in Hebrews right that Abraham knew That God had promised that Isaac would be the son and the seed that would carry out through all the earth to fulfill the promise. Therefore, when God told Abraham to kill Isaac, he had no problem according to the book of Hebrews because he knew he would raise him from the dead. He trusted God to the point. So in other words, if Abraham did not really believe God that Isaac was truly going to live out, produce offspring, etc., etc., and God said, I want you to kill your son. What would he have done? It would have been the branch arguing with the vine. No, God, I don't. I can't. But you said. Lord, but you said. But you promised. And now you're telling me this? No. He knew that God would raise him up. But look at the next one. Verse 25. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Whereas the body without the spirit is dead, so faith Without works is dead also. So, now you know, you have to understand something. James uses words like faith a little bit differently in the way that Paul does in a lot of his writings. Neither writer would be opposed to what they're doing here. Genuine faith is a reality on which one stakes his life, not merely a passive assent to some form of doctrine. Let me say that again because there were a lot of big words in there, okay? Faith, genuine faith is a reality on which one stakes their life and not simply a passive assent to some sort of doctrine. In other words, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe that the the Bible is His Word. I believe that He has things that He wants me to do. But I don't believe that part. I'm going to do what I want here. If you truly believe, see, you can passively agree to something, but that's not faith. Faith is demonstrated by what you do. That is the purpose of what James is saying. Well, now he gets to this person named Rahab. Rahab the harlot. Not very Christian of James. Or Rahab. But it says that she was justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. So we're going to do this today. We're going to look at this here quickly. I promise. We're not going to go very long. But I want you to look at this. We're going to go to Joshua chapter 2. We were in the book of Joshua last week. Those who did what was right in their own eyes. As I told you guys in the book of... Joshua, in the book, or that was Judges, in the book of Joshua, and Judges captures the events after that, where you've got a nation that just kind of circles around, and they constantly do what was right in the eyes of God, and then they don't, and they worship the Baals, and then God sends judgment as He promised, because He who promised is faithful, and then they feel bad, and they, they repent, because things are really hard, God, oh, I can't do this without you, so He raises up this judge and all of that, this all starts here with them going into the land, the land that was promised to them, the land that was promised to Abraham, the one that Moses didn't get to go to because the ones who went, they didn't believe. Only two of them did, Joshua being one. And so because they didn't believe God, they didn't get to sit and dwell in the land of promise. And here they are, they're going in and they're getting ready to conquer Jericho. You guys know the story. Especially if you've seen Veggie Tales. You, you know it was it's a great one. So let's go to Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Now Joshua the son of Nun sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go, you the land, especially Jericho. So he's spying out the land again. Strategy. So they went and they came to the house of a harlot named Rahab. And they lodged there. If you don't know what a harlot is, that's a prostitute. She's not nice. Well, she's too nice, actually. So they get there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. Now, why would that be a big deal? Jericho was very fortified, Jericho did not fear anybody. But why would Jericho care about the Israelites? Because they had heard what happened to Egypt. They knew. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and he hid, she hid them. And she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. Where the men went, I don't know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which was laid in order on the roof. So they hid under the roofing material, essentially. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan the fords, and as soon as uh, those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. How did she know that? That the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all of the inhabitants of the land are faint hearted because of you. Well, why was that the case? For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. So they had heard what had happened. So these guys are fearful. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain in any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. How did she come to that conclusion? Because only God could pull off what happened with these Israelites. She believed as a result of what she had seen. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. So the men answered her, our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Now, look how they phrase that. When the Lord has given us this land. So, in other words, were they concerned about how big the walls were or any of the people in it? No. When the Lord has given this land, that is trust. The big difference from the first few that went and visited all this area. They're trusting. But he says, our lives for you. You stay quiet, we'll spare you. And she let them down by a rope through a window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall, and she said to them, Get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. Now, why three days? Don't try to make something spiritual out of this. This was their pattern. She would have known their pattern. They would go out on a search mission looking for three days, and then they would return home. So why does she tell them to hide? Because then they'll give up. Verse 17, so the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which we have made, uh, you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, You bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. Number one, leave this here so we know. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's households to your own home, so it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you have made us swear. So, put down the cord, bring in all your family. Anybody inside of the house, when we come, will be spared. That's our promise. Does that sound similar to something? Sounds like the Passover, doesn't it? Verse 21. Then she said, According to your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed. And she bound the scarlet cord in the window. And they departed and went to the mountain, stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way, but did not find them. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain, and crossed over. And they came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. So they're confident that God's going to do this. They've made a deal. Now, how do you know if Rahab believes the deal? She has faith in the words that they said and trusts that they will do what they said they will do. Well, we know because she will leave the cord in the window and bring all of her family into the house. That's how we know. If she didn't believe them, what would they do? Try and hide. Try and run. Try to do something else. But she trusted them. Are they sitting ducks waiting to be slaughtered if they lie? Absolutely. But they knew, she knew, what God had done for them. That these are people of God. They have no king. God is their king. And they will fulfill their promise. Let's jump ahead to Joshua chapter 6, verse 17. Says, Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, and all who are in it, only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things, and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and irons are consecrated to the Lord, they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. That's interesting. All the wealth belongs to God. That's His. You don't take it. What happens if you pocket it? There'll be consequences. They're God's. Don't keep what belongs to Him. Verse 20, So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. They utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. But Joshua has said to the two men who had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all of her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and gold and the vessel of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. She, so she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messenger whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So how do we know she believed him? How do you know she trusted him? How do you know she had faith in their word? They stayed there and waited. They did exactly what they said they would do. She did exactly what they said to do. That's how you know. They weren't hiding. They were just sitting in the house. Maybe they were watching TV. I don't know what they were doing. They were just hanging out because they knew. Think about it. During the Passover, you know the death angel is coming because this is the tenth of ten plagues. You've watched the frogs and the flies and all the other stuff. And God says, I want you to kill this lamb, I want you to consume the lamb, and you'll be fine as long and only if you'll put this blood on the doorpost. That's it. If you don't do it, you will die. If you do it, you will live. They didn't run, they didn't hide, they applied the blood. They trusted God's word. The same thing is going on here. Why does that matter? You see, this is what faith is. We've turned it into a series of beliefs, but it's actually a series of trusting God, and our actions reflect that. Now, Rahab is interesting. Rahab the harlot, the prostitute. She was very likely at some point a temple prostitute. Very likely. It's hard to say for sure. But why does this woman matter? She shows up in Hebrews, she shows up in James, she's a demonstration of faith. Well, if you look at the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, it says in verse 5, it says, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. And the further you take that down, you get to our Savior, Jesus. Rahab was a big deal, and it all started because she trusted. That's what faith is. So Jesus had faith, and we see in the hall of faith that they had faith, and we start to define our terms, then what about you and I? What does faith look like for you and I? We'll start getting into that in the next couple of weeks. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that we trust it, that we believe you, that we'll live our lives of a reflection of you, not doing things of our own, but doing things for you, doing things that you want, trusting your word and your promises, Lord, because he who promises faith. Lord, I pray for opportunities to share the faith, share our, our beliefs and the things that we have and the things that we hold on to, that the world around us can see through us your love, not just through the, simply the, the words we speak, Lord, but the way that we live our life, the things that we do, that all that we have belongs to you and there's nothing that we would hold back from you. So Lord, I thank you that you give us opportunities each and every day to live our lives for you, to not just simply take up space and exist, but to actually have a count, and to be used for your kingdom. Lord, be glorified in everything we do. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Guys, have a great week. God bless you. See you Wednesday.